Hi, I'm Gar Sanders. I'm Jamie Wincup. I'm James Courtney. Tony Delberto. Hi, I'm Rick Kelly. Hi, I'm Todd Kelly. Hi, I'm Lee Holdsworth. You're listening to V8 Insiders. It's your weekly dose of V8 news on the V8 Insiders. Now, here's your host, Craig Revell. The carnage was high on the streets of the Gold Coast. Both was good TV. And the internationals had their say. Got some international drivers to do IndyCar races. That'd be a cool event. Car drops and you're still doing your belts up halfway around the outlap and you just can't get away with that in IndyCars. That's all coming up today as the red lights go out on another edition of the V8 Insiders. Take in the V8 to the races. You watch the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers. V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 supercar coverage. Out now. This news update is brought to you by V8X Magazine. Log on to the official V8X Magazine Facebook page for your chance to win some great prizes. Here's the news brought to you by Nobrac Carbon Fibre Products. The Gold Coast was once again a car killer with Saturday's race requiring two restarts before it got underway. Ricky Taylor, who was driving the Greg Ritter Fujitsu car, talked about his wild ride. Yeah, it was uh, my first ever standing start and it uh, went alright. Got a good launch. Uh, passed, actually passed one or two guys. Um, pulled out from behind. I don't know who it was. And as I pulled out, I saw you know, nothing but you know, stopped cars in front of me. And uh, just kind of got squeezed into it, and uh, next thing I knew was on my roof. But uh, also another first is being upside down. But uh, yeah, I feel, feel really bad for the guys. I'd love to be out there today and, and uh, make up for, for, for the mistake. Jamie Winkup and Sebastian Bourdais prevailed. Crazy start of the race. I suppose it was good TV, but uh, massively uh, t- took its toll back in the pit lane, working out what to do. Um, all sorts of strategy change at that moment as well with uh, the race obviously getting shortened um, turning into a one-stopper so uh, everyone was massively on their toes I was um, I didn't have to do much I was just sitting in the back watching it all unfold it was very strange uh, for the first five six laps or so Mika was pretty fast and uh, I was fairly content to just kind of follow and and see if at some point he was going to lose his tires so I wasn't kind of uh, staying too close but at some point it just kind of really paddled backwards and just started making a few mistakes and and didn't drive as fast as my car could and uh so that was that started to be a bit frustrating that's when i tried to pass and you know i i just wasn't precise enough in the chicanes being behind him and i didn't want to take a chance of stuffing the car in the wall or anything so i was very fast in the uh, last section compared to him but you can't pass there so i gave it a try and breaking for turn one that I thought it was going to stick, and it didn't. So, uh, you know, it was all good. It was a great battle, uh, but for sure uh, it's a lot easier when, uh, you know, you're in front and you can see where you put your wheels. On Sunday, Will Davison and Mikasalo got the first win for FPR since May. I've uh, had a bit of a frustrating past few months, and, uh, and listen, I, Shippy said to me before I got in, he said this could be our day. 
And I knew it was going to be a big fight to the end. I knew we were going to get a safety car for a bit of plastic on the road or something. But Davison's mistake on Saturday saw Salo happy to take the leading role, driving the majority of the laps. No, it's, it's, uh, it just went like that. I, I, I uh, flat-spotted my... I had something wrong with the brakes at the beginning of the race, and I, I flat-spotted my right front, and uh, I had so much vibration, so we just decided that uh, let's pit as soon as we can, and I stayed in. in and my pace was sort of okay, so I just... Hang on until, until my rears were don't, totally gone and we could make it until the end and then we'll jump in. So I, I had a pretty good, reasonable run and uh, I wasn't really quite up there. I probably lost a couple of tenths for you and lap times three tenths. And uh, I'm, I'm not completely satisfied, but uh, win is a win. We had a chance last year, we blew it. We had a chance yesterday, we blew it. And now today, today finally it worked out, so I'm happy. Bourdais was once again the Dan Weldon Trophy winner, a title that is heavy on his heart. These trophies are kind of heavy to, to carry, but at the same time it's also a, a synonym of a, of a great weekend, so I'm just very uh, proud and, and happy. I think uh, you know we've been fighting really hard and been sh- showing some very good speed this weekend, so I'm sure that's what uh, Dan would have done as well, so it's, you know, it's great to be able to do it. Jack Daniels has confirmed their sponsorship will continue with Kelly Racing in a multi-year deal. Todd Kelly told the V8 Insiders about the team's excitement moving forward. And to hit the track with the Nissan Altima next year, which is going to be an absolutely amazing looking car, with uh, Jack Daniels on the side of both of them, is is going to be pretty special. Great for Nissan uh, and great for our team. Kelly also talked about his shoulder surgery, which will see him out of the car for the rest of the year. Yeah, it's all good, I think. Um, not really really there to move my arm too much, so I don't know exactly how good it works, but um, it was pretty sore for the first few days, and I'm about, I think, 9 or 12 days or something from the operation and uh, starting to be a little bit more bearable and um, just can't wait to get out of the sling and start a bit of rehab and work towards getting back in the car. Nissan and Kelly Racing will unveil the first Ultima V8 Supercard on Tuesday the 30th of October. Motorsport fans will be able to view the live feed of the unveiling at the Nissan Australia YouTube channel beginning at 10.30am Eastern Daylight Savings Time. Later in the afternoon, Nissan will then host a Google Plus Hangout with driver and race director Todd Kelly, who will be talking about the Ultima V8 supercar from the team's Brayside headquarters. That's starting at 5pm Eastern Daylight Saving Time. You can hear more from Todd Kelly on the White Flag Lap in two weeks' time. Tim Blanchard was replacing Todd Kelly. We asked him about the differences he found being the main driver over a co-driver. When you're just the co-driver at Bathurst in the middle of the day, you're just jumping in and doing the laps and hand the car back to lead driver and let him worry about it. And This time the shoe's on the other foot and you've got to take the initiative and set the car up how you want it. Russell Ingalls said he's planning to augment his V8 driving duties in the main game next year with a one-off race in the USA. I've got a, a definite target for doing a, a nationwide street circuit race in NASCAR and uh, I'm going to try real hard for that next year. Uh, there's a few things in place at the moment and I've been keeping in touch with uh, Marcus Ambrose. And You can hear more from Russell on this week's White Flag Lap. Michael Crusoe was one of the drivers that didn't get to turn a racing lap on the Gold Coast. He talked about his frustration over the weekend. Oh, look, I don't think the whole weekend was frustrating. We had some fantastic speed and... Um, and that's always quite satisfying. I mean, particularly on Friday, being fastest, and uh, obviously we were sitting fourth on the grid yesterday. So, 
No, look, it's uh, it's it's complete. You know, it's un- unfortunate what's happened, and um, you know, everyone at Fujitsu Racing's obviously a little bit down at the moment, but. You know, we'll be back on the track for Abu Dhabi and the cars, I think they go away next Saturday. So, uh, yeah, a lot of work to do, but look, this is motor racing and uh, it's all a part of it. Tim Slade and David Brabham were teaming up together and on Sunday they looked like a potent combination getting out in front during the final stint. Yeah, the racers, you know, Brabs did a, did a really, really good job. Um, couldn't have asked any, any more from Brabs and he actually, I think he did more laps than, than what I did in the race today just because of the, the strategy that we ended up running. Um, so, uh, yeah, I guess the strategy is is what put us up the front. And, uh, you know, like I said, Brabs, Brabs did a really good job and um, got us up there as well. And then basically, you know, I sort of popped out at the front when I jumped in at the end there. And yeah, I guess, you know, we, we led the race for a bit, but didn't really have the, the ultimate pace to, to stay there with so many laps to go. So, you know, I didn't sort of fight fight too much and um yeah i guess we were sort of best of the rest pace wise at the end there no team did a great job you know we had a good car maybe not the quickest but it was it was good enough and um it was great to to sort of run up front there like that for a bit and uh, to see tim tim leading as well you know so we we did really so yeah i mean we got us got ourselves into a really strong position with the strategy and the pace of the car and, um, you know, at the end, Tim just, just didn't have the pace of the other guys. And finally, we asked the internationals, what would they say if their series said to them that they would have a one-off race for the championship involving international drivers who had little or no experience in their types of car? James Hinchcliffe. I would love it. You know, it's, uh, it's funny. This kind of came up in conversation with the team a, a little while ago, and I said that the only, the only thing that I think we'd have to do differently is have a mandatory pit stop length so that way you can make sure guys are buckled in right because the way we do it you know if it's a quick stop the car drops and you're still doing your belts up halfway around the lap and you just can't get away with that in an indy car so but i'd love to see it i think it'd be really cool it'd be cool for the fans it'd be cool that see uh, or i guess let some of these other guys test out an indy car and, and see what it's all about nick heifeld well that's what i just actually said um in between the sessions when I uh, spoke to our our physio who I actually still know from my times in Formula 1 I mean bringing some internationals in is one thing but then to have uh, have it counting towards the championship is a bit crazy but I mean those guys know what what they expect entering that championship and yeah, it's it's strange uh, for sure for them more than than for us. I've I've done sports cars this year where you have teammates as well, but you have the same teammates like uh, all races. You are two or three guys, but they uh, they're just unlucky or unlucky. So um, yeah, it must must feel strange to them. Gianni Morbidelli. Yeah, it's a strange a strange decision because uh, you know it's a big responsibility as well for us. Uh, we come here, and of course. Uh, uh, we, we have to do our best in the meantime we try uh, to to make um, uh, a good job uh, means that we have to, to to save the car this is important you know uh, but of course it's our job you know when we receive the invitation we know we have a responsibility but in many time we, we, we must be focused on this and, uh, and try to do our best as I said you know we, uh, we cannot pretend to come here and to win but uh, we, we we have to do our job as we're doing every every Sunday when we are in the racing track. Sebastian Bourdais. Well, pretty crazy, I would say. But, you know, at the end, it's, it's, you know, the last two years it showed it worked out. 
it's a great format and uh, you know it brings more excitement to the series more excitement for the championship and I think it's a pretty cool thing will power that would be interesting actually it'd be very very interesting I'd love if they actually did that <laughs> did, did, got some international drivers to do IndyCar races that'd be a cool event but I'm not sure team owners would want to risk their car um, but these guys do and you know if you're a professional driver, you understand that it's just something you've got to creep up on. But, uh, yeah, that would be a very interesting. And that's the news for Nobrac Carbon Fibre Products. Check out the entire range at www.nobrac.com.au. That's N-O-B-R-A-C.com.au. The roundtable is up next after the break. News on the V8 Insiders is brought to you by the official V8X Magazine Facebook page. Sign up and keep in touch with V8 Supercars. Take in the V8 to the races. You watch the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. The views expressed on V8 Insiders, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect those of the network, Thunder Media, sportradio.com.au or V8X Magazine. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Hi, I'm Lee Holdsworth. You're listening to V8 Insiders. Welcome back to the V8 Insiders. Joining us this week, it's the voice of V8 Supercars, Chris Jewell. Good evening, Chris. Hey, Craig, how are you doing? Very well, and it's the voice of On The Grid on SEN every Sunday morning and, of course, uh, right throughout the uh, summer series. It is uh, going to be hearing your dulcet tones with, of course, Crusher and Tim Hodges bringing up-to-date race reports as well on SEN. Tony Shebecki. Hello, Craig. Hello, Chris. How are you both? Very well, and, uh, well, what a weekend it was up in the Gold Coast. The, the first thing, of course, was the carnage, Tony. Every time you went on air, you were talking about more cars littering the streets of the Gold Coast. Uh, it was absolutely amazing, wasn't it? Especially those first couple of starts. Uh, we all had a feeling, I think, and Chris, I'm not sure whether you did, I'm sure you did, though, that we we're, were going to see something happen, especially uh, at the start, on, that, on the, uh, the very initial start. I didn't think it would be as dramatic as what we saw uh, with that Gary Rogers car going over on its roof and and so many other things happening around it. And then that restart, you know, once again, you just felt this just doesn't feel right. Something's going to happen. And there it did again. And uh, we had uh, another incident. And, look, it's a weird one. I mean, uh, a lot of these guys have said that they've never, you know, a couple of the blokes especially have said that they've never had standing starts in a race before. So I wonder why we put so much pressure on these blokes to perform when they've only actually been in the car for a handful of laps at Queensland Raceway a couple of days before that. And then all of a sudden we're handing them over, you know, you know, expensive cars that are going to be expensively damaged. And mm. Gary Rogers alone, I think, uh, told us on the grid on Sunday morning, up to $200,000 worth of damage to his two cars alone. That's before his own blokes then messed it up by forgetting to put the wheel nuts on tight. And uh, that also uh, ruined Michael Caruso on the Sunday. So just an amazing day for uh, for a lot of teams. And it all, uh, it all points to next year, doesn't it? I suppose we, we take this as a little bit of a an issue into next year when Abu Dhabi's only going to be a week after the and Gold Coast. And, you know, we're going to, when, if this happens again next year, we're going to see cars not go to Abu Dhabi. It is critical. And, Chris, it comes on the back of this is what the car of the future was for, so they could race every week because they were going to be cheaper. 
unfortunately, they're not turning out much cheaper. No, you're right. The thing is, um, you know, the, the team owners will always overstate the cost of repair because they want to inflate the price of the cars they're trying to flood the market with. You can buy a brand new V8 supercar at the moment from many teams for under $200,000. So when Gary talks about $200,000 of damage, he's, uh, he's talking about brand new parts, the labour it takes to fix it, etc., etc. It's conservatively more like $350,000 across each of the uh, the entries that were caught up in the main crash on Saturday, of which there were six cars primarily caught up with significant damage. But regardless, it is a cost that a lot of them don't want to incur, and the big cost will be the labour cost in getting all the cars back together and onto the people who purchased them at the year end, and before then, ideally getting them ready to go to uh, to Abu Dhabi. But on paper, the reason why they start the co-drivers is it's the textbook way of making the race go more smoothly and having the right car in the right driver's hands at race end. The only problem is there's nothing textbook about getting the things off the line and that was clearly shown on Saturday when we had those two failed attempts. Mm, and a number of people were calling for rolling starts, but, gee, I remember when IndyCar were there and there was a couple of times that rolling starts even had cars pinballing across the canyons in the uh, start of the race. Yeah, well, we've had lots of endurance starts where at both Phillip Island, Sandown and Bathurst in days gone by with a taller diff ratio and a full load of fuel. The cars have been very hard to get off the line for the primary drivers, and you've got a lot of drivers who've never done many starts in them, and they are still carrying a bigger load of fuel on board as well. So, you know, many of our, our better drivers on the Gold Coast in days gone by have stuttered and spluttered away, so I wasn't surprised. But it only needs one or two to get it wrong, and because of the funnel effect and the very narrow confines of the circuit, it just... Uh, it self-perpetuates, and that's what happened, unfortunately, on uh, on Saturday. Mm. But Chris, what would be the what would be the issue with having the driver change in the middle? So bring the international into the middle. You're still going to have the, the regular driver finish the race. It just means they're going to do it. It's going to take an extra forty or fifty seconds because there's going to be two driver changes instead of one. I, I can't see what, what they the, factor what the issue would be. Well, what they factor is the race potentially being shortened for any reason and, and not having your primary driver in the car when you need them. And that's exactly what happened on Saturday. It was a one-stopper. So, in essence, if we'd done it in reverse and a similar incident took place for the primary drivers, then because of the minimum driver distance, you're going to have the international co-drivers all finishing the race. I don't have an issue with when they drive, but the fact of the matter is I was staggered that more people didn't try something a little bit different, specifically Tander and Briscoe uh, when they were stranded down in 24th. But I guess at the end of the day, you know, Ryan did such a good job in the hands of a a stronger co-driver that it really didn't matter. But, yeah, look, you could stipulate that the co-driver does the middle part of it, but in essence... Uh, some of the seasoned campaigners struggle to get the cars off the line, and we've seen start line crashes with, you know, drivers who've been doing it for years. So just one of yeah. those things that happen, and I think we just stick to the plan and let the team sort it out. It was no major issue on Sunday, despite one of the cars not getting away, and it made for two pretty entertaining races when all the right suspects were behind the wheel of their respective mounts at race end. Even when they weren't, though, the Micasalo and uh, Sebastian Bourdais. Uh, battle at the once they got the first race going was as good as any battle we've seen on the streets of the Gold Coast and and then of course we saw a number of the internationals doing longer stints Chris on the Sunday race just because the way the safety cars were falling and uh, Mikasalo was very happy at the uh, press conference to say yes I told them they'd have to let me drive the most laps after Will stuck it in the fence on his uh, outlap. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it's, um, it was a strange weekend. The, the definitive strategies and the best strategies that can be mapped out uh, in using computer software and, and good basic intellect can get thrown into disarray the minute that something a little bit different happens. And we had two 
totally different races to what we've had in previous days. So I think it was great to see those co-drivers doing longer stints, bearing in mind that they aren't the rookies. Those guys at the front didn't have any issue getting their cars off the line either, And but Bourdais and Salah have been there for the last three years, so they're probably as good as uh, many of the drivers in the mid-pack who do it full-time. Tony, one thing that was uh, was interesting throughout the weekend was... Uh, what did they call them? Entertainment safety cars. And uh, Jamie Winkup threw in a soft safety car as well. We've seen a few of those in, over time, haven't we? Uh, we saw uh, entertainment safety cars and we threw a geese down and on the track at Phillip Island. I mean, it, it seemed like every time Jamie got a little bit of a, a, a decent gap, something would happen. They'd bring out a safety car due to uh, the, the mirrors on the track or whatever it might be. And that, that was a major issue, wasn't it? The amount of uh, debris that was on the track uh, at different points and the fact that they had to bring out safety cars just to uh, to slow everyone down so they could clean it up. I mean, that's something that's going to, you know, is, is a real issue. You just get a bit of momentum and all of a sudden you, you slow down through no fault of your own. And uh, to have that happen on numerous times, it's something that they, they probably need to look at. I'm not sure what they can do, but it, uh, it just seems like, you know, for a bit of plastic on the road, and I understand why they do it, but it just seems, uh, you know, a major consequence for, uh, for that result. Whatever happened... The car that hurt um, Jamie Wincup on Saturday helped him on, on Sunday, though, because he was a yeah. long way behind in fourth spot. And without that safety car, Tanda would have passed him as well, and he'd been back in fourth some eight seconds behind the Slade and Davison battle. So it's the unders and overs, isn't it, in a lot of ways? A lot of the yep. cynics said it was amazing that it was Craig Lowndes that brought out that safety car to help his team get near the front, and incredibly, it was three red flags in qualifying for three team Vodafone mirrors. So uh, you could read more into it than you really want to if you had to. Oh, the conspiracy nuts would go wild. <laughs> and uh, I know, uh, Chris, during the commentary, you were having a, a crack at that one as well. But interestingly enough... Whatever happened to the stationary red flag? Uh, sorry, the stationary yellow flag, which just warns driver that in the next section there's something dangerous, rather than stopping the race effectively to uh, to do it. There used to be a time where you just used to put a yellow flag out to warn them, and if the series is going to Macau, Macau's a f- classic one that in Formula Three there's one corner at Macau, the hairpin, which is a double waved yellow flag at every lap of the race. Obviously, you're not going to put a safety car out because the corner's too tight, and uh, that's what they have to do. Just drive to the conditions. Yeah, you answered at the start the competition caution. Mm. Well, it, it certainly uh, made for an interesting series of races. Uh, we know the Dan Weldon Trophy was won by Sebastian Bourdais, Tony, but who were, in your opinion, the international success of the weekend? Oh, I think Ryan Briscoe, definitely on the Saturday, I thought drove a, a fantastic race to help that uh, Garth Tander car get up to where it got on on the Saturday. Uh, Bourdain was great throughout the, the both days. Uh, having said that, though, Win- Jamie Winkup did a, a spectacular job as well to uh, to help that car up there. Uh, Mika Salo, look, there were, there were a couple of good... Uh, Good guys. Unfortunately, we didn't get to see all of them uh, in action over the two days, did we? But uh, no, look, I think Bourdais taking the trophy. I'm, I'm happy with that. I think that was probably the right, uh, the right way it should have gone. Mm. Now, I'm not prepared to say anyone involved in a start line crash was a failure. But was there anyone who out there made enough mistakes, excluding start line incidents, uh, to be called a failure, Chris? Oh, I'm not going to include the start line incidents because I know how hard it is to get those cars off the line, but I thought the three drivers that were pretty uh, underwhelming were Peter Cox, Marco Andretti and Max Pappas. 
uh, lack of speed, uh, not a lot of enthusiasm. We couldn't find Andretti for a radio interview at any point during the course of the weekend, and Peter Cox just never got his head around anything despite having a, a limited start, not including the guys that um, you've just mentioned. You have to look a little bit deeper to see that uh, guys like Graham Rahal, who'd never driven a bad supercar before, although he had driven that track, you know, he's P8 in his very first uh, practice session and finished in eighth uh, spot with Rick Kelly on Saturday. Lucas Degrassi had never even seen the place in anything and he was ninth in, in his first practice session mm. in one of those cars. Hinchcliffe was seventh. Dumbreck ended up in the top ten twice. Heidfeld was fourth in his first practice session. Liuzzi was sixth in his. And then you've got the others, the Briscoes, the Turners. Look what Brabham did for Tim Slade. And even Boris Seder, everyone picks off on, you know, he actually kept out of trouble most of the, the weekend. And Mike Conway, who missed the first practice session, um, they had a, a 14th and a 15th in the race. So I think they all flew their flag pretty well. You can go on and on and on, but I really do think that Cox, Andretti and Pappas, unfortunately, were probably the bottom of the pack. I can't believe no one has said Mark Lieb, who I thought had a stellar weekend. Oh, I did, but like I said, they are the guys you'd expect. They've been there before, and uh, and you can include you know, all of the podium finishes and Mark Lieb in that group, but certainly other standouts and genuine bath, um, Gold Coast rookies and virgins are the ones that really caught my eye. Mm. James Hinchcliffe. Uh, just on, sorry on that, guys. Max, pa- Max Pappas, I thought, was amazingly bad, considering you know, yeah, I would have thought that he would have gone a lot better than what he did. Mm. Yeah, and he's actually driven a V8 supercar before. Yeah, exactly, that's yeah. Hmm. Interesting, uh, James Hinchcliffe, uh, he had a solid weekend, I thought, but more importantly, wasn't he a fantastic ambassador for his sponsor, GoDaddy, and the IndyCar series and the internationals coming out here? He was uh, absolutely fantastic uh, with the Australian media, and then he was doing uh, a lot of stuff with uh, Marshall Cass going back home to America as well. Oh, he's pinpoint sharp, isn't he? Just he's a professional. He reads everything that's going on around him. He articulates really well. He's obviously got great social media capabilities and a good supporting group around him. I thought he was a genuine fresh breath of air. And, um, you know, a lot of people saying he's not bad for a yank. Well, he's not one. He's a Canadian. <laughs> we need to take a break here on the V8 Insiders. Plenty more when we return. Controversy Corner is next when we return with more on the V8 Insiders. Find out more about your favourite supercar teams and drivers when we go inside further on the V8 Insiders. You've taken the V8 to the races. you watch the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. Hi, I'm Shane Van Gisbergen. You're listening to V8 Insiders. Welcome back to the V8 Insiders. Joining us, Tony Shebecki and Chris Jewell. And guys, the event's future at the Gold Coast, uh, it's got one more year to run on its contract. Uh, do we think the Queensland government is going to pony up or could they do what the New South Wales government did in Sydney and says, you can run as many races on the Gold Coast as you like as long as you fund them yourself? Chris? Oh, sorry, Tony. Uh, I'm, the sad thing here is two of my favourite events are unlikely to both survive. I hope they do, but Townsville and Gold Coast, can they both survive under the current regime of uh, Campbell Candu? I just don't think they can, and that's the nervous part for me. Or it can, they potentially can survive with less financial assistance from the government. But, gee, I hope I'm wrong. Uh, of course... Th- I'm, with, I'm with you on that one, Chris. I think it's either going to be one or the other that's going to survive. And, unfortunately, I think because Townsville's just that little bit cheaper... 
well, probably a lot cheaper actually than the Gold Coast. I think it might be Townsville and the Gold Coast might go by the wayside. Mm. Maybe we can alternate like they talk about doing in Formula One venues overseas. <laughs> yeah. Well, they do that in the World Rally Championship as well. Yeah. Alternate and make them both international events. That'd work. Oh, scary thoughts here. Hey, Still good for tourism. <laughs> it, it's it's definitely an idea that we haven't canvassed before, though. Guys, Will Davison, he he is a confidence driver. We all know that. He knocked his confidence around on Saturday when he drove the car into the wall. Um, of course, he, he thought there was something wrong with the car, but the team couldn't find it. But then he, he came back and was able to hold on under plenty of pressure in the end there, Tony. Yeah, he certainly was. And gee whiz, he came to the Gold Coast and was absolutely... Uh, zero confidence after what happened at Bathurst to that car. So uh, I thought it was a great drive by Will, a great nerve, you know, a, a, just to hold his nerve on the Sunday and to be able to do what he did. As you said, uh, confidence would have been shot from Saturday, would have been shot from Bathurst. So uh, once he saw he had the opportunity and to actually be able to take that, and good for FPR too. I mean, they've had a few issues over the last couple of races too, haven't they, to be able to get a win under their belt, and they uh, they celebrated that pretty well as also. Mm. Now, Chris, it was Techno's second podium, but if you like, it's really their first podium because their first podium, their win at Sydney, came when the car was being prepared under the Dick Johnson racing banner. So this one is, is really Techno Motorsport standing alone and, and putting that car up on the podium. Yeah, absolutely right. They've got a great technical relationship with Triple Eight Race Engineering, and if you actually add up the results they had at Sandown, Bathurst and the Gold Coast, they were the fifth most successful team, uh, and fifth in Jonathan Webb's hands, be it with Scott McLaughlin alongside him or Mark Lieb, uh, over those three events, which is pretty resounding when you consider it. And also, Patrizzi did a pretty good job to be in the top ten with only half a lap to go on the Saturday race, despite a pit lane penalty. So, um, no, I think it's a, a fantastic effort, and they're, they're maturing as a team, and they're, they've got a good relationship, good chemistry within that group, and i um, very impressed. And just to touch quickly on Will Davison, I'm hard-pressed to find a mistake that Will Davison has made all year, with the exception of that one of the Gold Coast. Remember, of course, he had nothing to do with the problems at Sandown and Bathurst. He drove mm. in impeccable fashion there. And the only other incident he's been involved in all year was the incident when he and Wincup came together at Phillip Island, where he was tagged from the rear by one of the Stone Brothers' cars. I actually feel for Will Davison because that team lost their way a little bit there and focused far too much on qualifying on soft tyres than racing, and I think it was great to see him back in the winner's circle. You're right, he's a confidence driver, but uh, like I said, very minimal mistakes all year and probably deserves to be further up in the championship, to be quite honest. Mm. Well, that's one of the interesting points. The championship, well, I heard Will Davison has said he's out of championship contention after Bathurst, really. Craig Lowndes said to me at the end of the Gold Coast, he's out of championship contention. So are we down to a battle of two and... It's going to be a, a big battle for Frosty to be able to bridge that gap now, Chris? Yeah, it is. Um, everyone talks about, you know, the mathematical probabilities and possibilities, but unfortunately, undeniably, you know, Wing Cup scores an average finishing position of fifth over the last four or five years. So if you say that he's going to have six fifths in the remaining six races, he's going to pick up a significant amount of points. And even if any of the other drivers, uh, Lowndes and Winterbottom, won six times, the championship would still just go fractionally to... Jamie Wincup and, you know, Will Davison saying he's out of the equation. Well, he is 470 points behind with 900 still up for grabs. But stranger things have happened. And really, from a championship perspective, it probably needs three FPR wins in the hands of Mark Winterbottom at, uh, at Abu Dhabi. The, the thing that can potentially influence this uh, outcome may well be the fact that uh, Will Davison can play rear gunner 
and help Mark Winterbottom into a much more competitive proposition, whereas at Team Vodafone, that won't happen for as long as Craig Lowndes has a chance to win it on points. Mm. Tony, your thoughts? Well, I was going to say, a dollar thirteen is Jamie Winkup at the moment with the bookmakers to take out the championship. In my mind, that's 30% interest on your money, so if you've got a lazy 100000 just lying somewhere... Collect the thirteen grand because Jamie Winkup will not lose his championship from here. Yeah, that's good odds, isn't it? He's hardly black stuff. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it, it, it probably says something about the book markets and how seriously they take the uh, the the pool going into V8 supercars, isn't it? Well, well, but where would you have him, Brad? You, you couldn't have him any longer than a dollar thirteen. He's got such a, an overwhelming gap at the moment. No, I'd have him. I, I'd have him. You'd, you'd be struggling to get money four. back off me. He's a dollar four. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you'd have him shorter. I'd have him. I'd have him. Yeah, I'd have him so short that you wouldn't even put a bet with me. Yeah, I'm uh, sort of thinking you can't get any more than fifty dollars on the dollar thirteen. <laughs> Unlike AFL, where you can go to a grand final, winner takes all, and get good odds either way. You know, full well on form, on weather, on misfortune, and accuracy, yeah. all sorts of things can come into the equation as far as the bookmakers' odds are concerned and them being incorrect. But in motorsport, best car, best driver, best team, big points lead. Gee, $1.13's generous. Mm. Get me on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, a few things happening over the course of the weekend. Uh, whilst we, we were talking about could J- Jamie wrap it up at Abu Dhabi, which I think we all agree he can, the f- race format, three races, one qualifying session where the drivers have to set three fastest slaps and their fastest laps one two and three will set the, each respective grid of each race i know some of the drivers didn't even uh, know about that when i spoke to them after the gold coast and the ones that did well they weren't speaking in glowing terms about it tony chris you can start this one off oh. mate because i have no idea what's happening over there it is just the weirdest setup of, of a v8 supercar weekend i've ever seen I guess the biggest challenge I face is trying to commentate uh, interspersed with a co-commentator who commentates in Arabic at the same time uh, in one minute bursts exactly what's going on in qualifying when your fastest lap sets your grid position for race one, second fastest for race two, third for race three. Uh, that's going to be very difficult. It's only a short session, and uh, some drivers may not even pay a poster a third fastest time. So yeah. I think that's going to be a challenge in itself. Why it couldn't have potentially been where you finish is where you start? Well, from an entertainment perspective, we'll never have raced in front of a bigger crowd than we'll race in front of at Abu Dhabi, at least. <laughs> it should be the case because we haven't raced in front of a lot of people there, and there is a limited amount of time available, which still staggers me when you consider F1 are on for a total of three hours on Friday, two hours on Saturday, and another three hours on Sunday, including the outlaps and uh, and the podium presentation, and there's no other support categories. So, yeah, I'm perplexed, staggered, bemused and surprised, but clearly there are some stipulations that are denying V8 supercars a chance to replicate a normal championship round. But, hey, who knows, as Mark Witterbottom says, if we have three 20-minute races or anything like the qualifying races at Sandown, they might be the best thing we've ever had. Mm. Well, uh, Yeah, I think there's one stipulation that's affecting V8 supercars in Abu Dhabi and his name starts with Bernie. <laughs> <laughs> of course, then uh, there Bernie is a... Cochran. There, there, <laughs> there, there is a whole other backstory to that where uh, coverage of the event is going to be quite restricted because a lot of us in the media haven't been accredited for the event. And uh, for case in point, we're V8 Insiders was looking to send uh, a journalist, and we can if someone out there wants to give me and uh, the V8 Insiders team $18,000 to pay the FIA sanctioning fee for a radio journalist to go over there. And uh, I imagine you're in very much similar boat there, Tony. Yeah, you're lucky you've got a 13000 Craig. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> no, 
Oh, look, I don't, I don't know uh, if we... That was we 18,000 Great we, Britain pounds too, Tony. We were, we were put in any situation in regards to that. I mean, uh, the, the fact was we had to apply for FIA full season uh, accreditation and because we hadn't done a minimum of 12 events the past year, then we weren't entitled to that. Uh, also, the situation is is that the local uh, Yas Marina circuit or the, the local Abu Dhabi, uh, people can only credit local journalists as their national media, so we didn't come into calculation under that either. So as a result, it was either cover it from your hotel room or don't do it at all. And uh, unfortunately, the, the latter is the option. Mm. And I guess that's uh, one of the things, Chris, that people like yourself are going to be called on even more to try and uh, tell us what was going on in the background because the, the, the regular guys who do cover it, some of them will be there, but if they're electronic journalists, they're not going to. No, you're right. It's uh, it's going to be difficult. But, hey, look, subcontractually, uh, I can leave, give you my phone number and happily do a lot of uh, that fossicking about to keep you well and truly abreast of what's going on over there. And, yeah, invoices will turn up on the hour. <laughs> guys, Kelly... It's cheaper than the 18 grand. Yeah, well, that's... Uh, pounds. 18,000 pounds. <laughs> Well, he knows the he knows the price he's got to beat now. Yeah, hey, seven and a half. You got a deal. Yeah. Hey, Kelly's they've secured Jack Daniels Racing for a multi-year deal. That's two of the four Nissans that'll be on the grid, and the Nissan Altima Tony will be launched in Melbourne next week, next Tuesday, in fact. Yeah. But big news is fans can see it all happen live online at YouTube. Yeah, exactly. That's a great initiative by uh, Nissan and, and Kelly Racing to have this whole launch on the uh, on the on the YouTube and fans right around the world, including uh, the, the new Nissan fans or the Kelly Racing fans in Australia, will be able to tune in and see the launch of this brand new car. Uh, first we've ever seen of it. It's good, I've been told it looks absolutely spectacular, and uh, can't wait to see what the outcome is for uh, for this uh, car next Tuesday. It's definitely the way we're going, aren't we? Where we have uh, more and more live feeds of things in V8 supercars, Chris. Yeah, you're right. And um, it was a major coup when this was all announced that they uh, actually snared um, Chris Jordan from uh, from BAM Media to be mm. the linchpin as far as media and communications concerned. He's young, funky, he's uh, well-educated, and he knows all the techno-gadgetry, and I have no doubt whatsoever that he's orchestrating a lot of the key changes in the way these V8 supercar teams are being announced and being launched. And, yeah, looking forward to seeing it. It's a... Uh, it's a media-only uh, program, I think, selected media-only program at the actual launch, but the rest of the world can jump online and uh, and capture it all, and I'm not surprised one bit. And great news for them that they've got that commercial support in place from Jack Daniels for the foreseeable future because they'd be spending the odd coin or two down there at the moment. Mm. We've got a detailed interview coming up with Todd Kelly in next week's White Flag Lap where he talks a lot more about it. But for race fans, they'll be able to, after the launch... Go to Google to a Google Plus Hangout and actually speak to Todd one on one from five pm. And uh, Todd's going to go there and chat with the fans, explaining more aspects of the car that they've released. So it, it, that gives it the interaction that uh, the fans are looking for as well. Yeah, I think it's great. Mm. All right. We need to take a break. No, we don't. We need to talk about a couple other things that have happened over the weekend, and that is uh, 
A lot of talk about Russell Ingalls' future and uh, on this week's White Flag Lap, uh, you'll hear my chat with Russell where he explains he's got some definite plans about going sports car racing in the future and also next year, whilst racing V8 Supercar's main game, he plans to do one road course in the NASCAR Nationwide Series, Chris. he's wow. uh, that's exciting stuff and... Uh People have been talking about Rusty having a farewell year for many, many years, but the way he's been driving of late, uh, there's no need for that to even be a consideration because he really had a standout run in the last four or five events and really been found outside the top ten. And when he has been outside the top ten, it's only been just on the cusp. So he's in some ways outshadowed uh, some of his more fancied teammates in that Walkinshaw stable, specifically Courtney and Tander. So Russ seems to be getting better as he's getting younger. Seventh and ninth last weekend, ninth at Bathurst, eleventh at Sandown, fourth at Sydney Motorsport Park, then fifth, fifth and fifth before that. So he's rejuvenated the boy. Mm. And Tony, he, he, he's still talking down that he has got a contract signed for next year, but you know he's got a sponsor that wants him to go on. Exactly. And while he's got a sponsor, you'd reckon that a drive opens up somewhere. I mean, it's just the fact of life, isn't it? If you've got some money to bring to a team, you're guaranteed that a team will say, yep, welcome aboard and come on in. So uh, we're interested to see where Russell does end up next year and where uh, other guys do too. I mean, Greg Murphy. Uh, obviously, the, you know, I don't think he's going to be at the Kellys, uh, to the Nissan and the Murph having a hold in uh, the Elville Greek Murphy end up going to Gary Rogers and maybe uh, hold and pay out the uh, the Frenchman's contract there to get uh, Murph in a slot there. I mean, there's a lot of there's still a lot of uh, touring and flying to go in this season yet. Yeah, and the big one, Chris, is of course is Michael Caruso the Kurt Tippett of V8 Supercars, and will that open a seat up maybe for a young guy like Scott McLaughlin who's already Fujitsu backed? I think you're uh, probably on the money there, although uh, everybody talks a big game in October and some people have got to be a little bit careful. They don't look for a bit more money that, uh, and use that as a tool of leverage with their teams because there's some pretty astute team owners out there that will cut you off at the knees pretty quickly. So it's all yet to shake out, but Caruso's probably the one that's got the most mystery surrounding him. But thrown into the equation, what Moffat's doing and Alex Davison potentially being rumoured to come back in. And then the younger guys, as you mentioned, McLaughlin, Mostert, Pye, Percat. Um, there's not going to be enough seats to go around, but clearly the grid as we see it right now is not going to be the grid we see when we go racing for the first time next year. Mm. Well, guys, always a pleasure to catch up with you both. Chris, have a great time in Abu Dhabi, and we'll look forward to chatting with you when you get back. Uh, are you managing to throw a bit of a holiday in on the end of it, or there's just not enough time? Of course I have. I've only got three hours of work to do in four days. <laughs> Tony, we're looking forward to catching up with you, and of course, on the grid every Sunday morning on SEN. Thanks, boys. Catch you soon. The White Flag Lap is up next, and as we said, you'll hear from Russell Ingall on the V8 Insiders. You've taken the V8 to the races. you watch the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. Hi, I'm Rick Kelly. You're listening to V8 Insiders. On this week's White Flag Lab, we speak with Russell Ingall, who's looking to secure his V8 future for at least next year. We asked him about any other plans he might have for racing when his V8 main game career eventually comes to an end. Oh, look, I'd love to do some endurance racing, you know, in sports cars of some sort, you know, and I'll be, I'll be definitely hitting up a few of my ex-co-drivers, even Peter Dumbreck, and... Uh, 
Yeah, yeah, Magnuson last year ahead here, races for Corvette in the States, and uh, oh, don't worry, I'll be I'll be putting the feelers out, uh, and I'd love to do a, a few one-offs like that. I've got a, a definite target for doing a, a nationwide street circuit race in NASCAR, and uh, I'm going to try real hard for that next year. Uh, there's a few things in place at the moment, and I've been keeping in touch with uh, Marcus Ambrose, and... Uh, I'm going to see if I can put a deal together. I'd love to just do a one-off street race. I, I wouldn't take one over. I wouldn't be stupid enough, but uh, I'd love to do a street race in a, in a nationwide. And uh, So uh, that's in the bucket list. Uh, but as for that, just pressing ahead, trying to get a drive for next year. So if we achieve that, I reckon that'll be uh, a box tick too. And the Gold Coast now, three years into the format of V8 supercars, how do you think V8 supercars are built on the legacy of the, the old Indy? Um... Yeah, I mean, you know, it's uh, it's a lot different nowadays. You know, when when it was when we were here and it was the old circuit, and and again, shorter races again. Um, look, you know, the the longer race format, I, I think suits a lot of tracks. You know, it, well, I suppose, I think what we what we've got to think about too is the cost of it. Um, you watch an Abu Dhabi, there'll be a lot of cars torn up. <laughs> you know, so so some 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 way is the. Uh, the longer races, because people know they got to finish. At least they cut you a bit more slack, you know. So um, yeah, I mean, I mean, you know the um, the yeah the uh, the IndyCar format has is, is, is always been pretty good. It's actually had a taste of both, but um, uh, you might want to do that question again. I've lost my track. <laughs> okay, fucked it up. So sorry, do, do that one again. The question was. Yeah, yeah. Indy, how do you think the V8s are built on the legacy of the Indy or the years of the Indy race? Well, I mean, you, you started off, um, it was Indy Car, and we were almost like a support act. You know, I remember the times when we were stuck over the uh, back paddock there, and we used to have to go around in utes, bring all the gear around, share the paddock. You know, we, we were the we were the second tier, and uh, then obviously the the year that came that um, Indy stopped coming here, Indy Cars, and we were the uh, we were the main act. Um, I think we've stepped up really well. Shorter yeah. track better than the longer track? No. No, not at all. I love the longer track. Um, uh, politically, we have to smile and wave, but, you know, it is it it is a shame we lost it long. But, again, politics, money, you have to, you know, the shorter track logistically and cost-wise is a lot cheaper. So you don't have to hit the government up for as much money. So I, I can see the point of that. And, and that's why why everyone puts up with it. There is a legitimate reason for it, you know. So uh, otherwise there probably wouldn't have been a race here at all. Um, it's not as much impact in traffic and that sort of thing, but the old track was awesome. And what about the international mixing the drivers? Obviously in the days when you were racing for championships you might have a different feeling on it than uh, what you do now when you're not at that point in yeah i mean the the international drivers got a bad rap this weekend i think because of all the mayhem that happened on the saturday's race look it wasn't their fault on that i mean you got to remember a lot of these guys race sports cars and categories where there's rolling starts they very rarely unless it's xf1 drivers do a standing start um and then we've seen indy cars here 
pinballing across off the start on a rolling start. So. Yeah, probably a bit different with ours, you know, because obviously at least you can, um, you know, you can rub panels a little bit more with ours, whereas IndyCar, you lock wheels, she's all over, you know, and this track was pretty tight for an IndyCar, let's face it. Um, I, I think it would have been a lot less carnage if they had a rolling start. Um, so it, it's a bit unfair to blame the blame the drivers on that one. You've got to remember, these guys are class acts. Like, these are guys that are used to driving a lot of different categories of cars. They're guys that have been in the highest levels of motorsport and still there. You know, they're, they're doing a bit of a Russell Engel. They're, they're, they're still around, still racing, you know, and uh, I, knew, I knew a lot of these guys from the former Ford days back in the early 90s, and they're still running. And they're racing for a reason, because they're damn good. They can get in any sort of car and be quick, and we saw that with a few few of the drivers. I mean, Bourdais' speed this weekend was phenomenal. I mean, he was every bit as quick as Wing Cup in the same car. That's pretty impressive for someone that does it once a year, you know. So these guys are, are pretty damn good, and, and I, I think it's good that they jump into in, in our cars, because because there's no doubt about it, they get a lot more coverage for us in Europe. Um, and fans of those drivers in their own countries will be looking. And uh, it just brings us a whole new fan base. My thanks to Russell Ingle there. As the checker flag waves over another edition of the V8 Insiders, till next time round, keep smiling and bye for now. Join us next week for more V8 Insiders, only on v8x.com.au.